Ask me to name a type of scam and I could go on for a very long time. There's phishing, romance scams, smishing, ransomware, spyware, and pig butchering. This is a relatively new type of scam and it first caught my eye because and it first caught my eye because of how vicious it is, as the name implies. I'm Allie, Commando.com content queen, and this is a special episode of Tech Refresh. I'm not here with Kim and Matt today talking about tech news and tips. Instead, I'm joined by Cesare Podkul, a reporter for ProPublica. He has done a ton of research on pig butchering, the victims, the people behind it, and how to recognize this crime before it happens to you. Cesare, do you think I'm right here? All the stories I read about pig butchering, like this stuff is awful. And I'm talking about, you know, both the, the victims and the people perpetuating the crime. Yeah, it's a pretty awful phenomenon, uh, and it's one that unfortunately is only getting worse, and it's one that uh, is unique in that it has victims on both sides of the world. Uh, You have people who are being scammed out of their life savings all around the world, uh, over 40 countries as far as we know. Uh, People have fallen victims to the scam, and then um, close to where I'm based uh, in Southeast Asia, uh, I'm here in Hong Kong, and uh, you know, from the, uh, the reporting that I've done, a lot of these scams are coming out of uh, scam sweatshops that are located across Southeast Asia, uh, primarily in countries such as Myanmar, Cambodia, and Laos. Okay, before sure. we keep using this term, pig butchering scam, um, it's a, a pretty rough thing to picture, uh, just like it is a, a an awful crime. So, Cesare, how, define this for us. What is a pig butchering scam? Yeah, so it's a scamming technique, uh, and the, the word comes from, the phrase comes from, from an analogy to farming, you know, in the same way that um, a farmer might fatten up a hog before he butchers uh, the hog for meat, uh, you know, the scammers try to fatten up their victims by gaining their trust and then convincing them to deposit larger and larger and larger amounts of money into fake investment platforms that they in fact control. Um, So the way they do that is they chat you up, they make you believe that it's real, that you're talking to a real person, whether it's a rem- potential romantic interest, someone you met on Tinder or some other dating app, or a, you know someone you met on LinkedIn, and maybe it's a professional, potential professional contact. They basically get you to trust them so that when they very um, smoothly make the transition to investing and then very smoothly talk about how successful they are and then you know how they uh, know what they're doing with crypto, it just all seems very natural and very real to you. Um, and because of that, you then take their advice when they tell you, here's this website I sign up for and or this trading app you should download, and then you follow their advice. Um, and then once you start actually depositing real money into the platform, um, then at some point uh, they will allow you to withdraw um, a token amount. It could be a small amount or it could actually, you know, if you're depositing big amounts, could end up being a substantial you know, a chunk just to show you, just to convince you that it's real. And that one-time withdrawal has the effect of making you think, oh, it's got to be real because I took out money. I was able to take out money once, so I will be able to take out money later. And of course, that ends up being, you know, in retrospect for many scam victims, a false assumption that they shouldn't have made because uh, that's part of the trick here is to allow the victims, uh, the scam victims to withdraw, you know, some portion of what they put in early on so that they're convinced that it's real and they'll be convinced to put in more and more money along the way. And of course, you know, once they end up doing that, um, you know, they get to a point where um, they have so much money, you know, at stake that uh, they get worried. And so if they try to withdraw everything at once, that's when the scammers will, you know, do the pig butchering. And what that means really is um, making the victims aware that actually you've lost control of your funds. You don't actually, you can't access them. If you want to access them, then the platform you've been investing into or you thought you were investing into 
um, it's going to ask you for this hefty fee. It could be a tax. Very often it's presented as a tax. So let's say you put in a hundred thousand and now that hundred thousand has turned into, you know, one million. And of course the one million is just, you know, text on uh, on a screen it's text that they manipulate they make you think that it's real money but in fact there's no money there it's just you know they control all the numbers in the app or the website but they make you think that there's a million dollars there so um you put in a hundred thousand and uh, now it's supposedly worth a million and they might say you got to pay us 20 percent of the value of the portfolio as a tax in order for us to um you know to give you back your money and i think most people think about you know think about a scammer and it's like yeah it's this evil mastermind on the other side of the screen who's just pocketing all my money. But it, in many cases, it doesn't really work like that, does it? With this scam, no, there's a unique twist on it, which is that uh, this scam industry that's cropped up here in Southeast Asia is actually uh, relying a lot on human trafficking to feed these scam uh, sweatshops. So what that means is that they are basically paying human traffickers to uh, recruit people to fool them into thinking that they are signing up for a real job, uh, often with vague job descriptions, you know, such as marketing uh, or sales job or something of that nature and a very lucrative salary. And they reply to the ad and um, before they know it, they're being trafficked sometimes by boats, sometimes they just fly to the country uh, where they're being trafficked to, or sometimes they get trafficked, smuggled overland uh, to Cambodia. Um, or to Myanmar or Laos. And then when they end up there, they realize that it's not the marketing or the sales job uh, that they sign up for. Actually, you know, they're uh, sat in front of a computer screen and they're told from now on, you're, you're a scammer. You have to learn how to talk to people, initiate conversations online with them and basically get them to uh, start trusting you so that they will begin depositing money into fake investment platforms that are used for these pig butchering scams. And so these people, uh, a lot of times, aren't, of course, doing this willingly. It's just something that they themselves were tricked into. And that's why I say that there's victims on both sides of the world here. You have people who are uh, fooled into and, and, and tricked into doing this in Southeast Asia against their will. And often they're desperate to get out. Sometimes they die trying to escape from these scam sweatshops, uh, which can be quite brutal in the punishment they impose on uh, the people who work there. And then uh, in the U.S., um, to many of your listeners, you know, you might be uh, someone in California, Arizona or wherever, and you just get a text message on your phone from a seemingly friendly stranger who's trying to initiate conversation with you um, and all of a sudden uh, just starts talking to you about investing in this amazing investment platform for cryptocurrencies. And if you believe them and you engage, um, that's how they hook you. And that's where the scam begins. Yeah. So you wrote about a man named Yuan, and that is exactly how it started for him, right? I want to talk a little bit about the story because I think it's kind of the the top level of like how bad this can get. So how did it start for him? Was it a text message, WhatsApp? Yeah, it was just a message that okay. showed up on his phone one day. Um, and this is probably something that a lot of your listeners have um, experienced that I have experienced it myself and a lot of people that I know. Um, you know, friends, colleagues have told me, oh, yeah, I'm getting these messages, too. A lot of times, you know, the typical script for them is to pretend you've got the wrong number. So they'll reach out to you and say, oh, hey, is this Larry? Um, and you'll say, no, sorry, wrong number. Oh, I'm sorry. I have your number saved in uh, this in my phone. And I was wondering who this was. And I'll just try to make it pretend that it's, it was an honest mistake. And they're just a friendly person who's trying to get to know you. And then if you engage in that conversation, you know, that's one way. And another way in um, that I wrote in my article um, in my investigation was 
um, these uh, fake profiles that they set up on all matters of social media. I mean, every imaginable platform out there, whether it's, uh, you know, the classic, you know, big name uh, social networking websites we've all heard about, like LinkedIn um, or Facebook or, uh, you know, dating websites, uh, you know, even, uh, even niche websites like, you know, whether it's Tinder or Hinge or, you know, various other uh, dating websites. Uh, even like I heard of a pen palling app where people are, you know, just kind of paired up with people to, write letters to someone across the world and got kind of, you know, in a fun way, get to know someone else uh, around the world or uh, even a language learning app, really any sort of oh online app um, that connects people uh, in different parts of the world, you know, whether it's for romantic interests, professional like LinkedIn, uh, just general social networking, like, so, you know, uh, like Facebook or, uh, you know, dating apps, um, you know, they, they create fake profiles uh, on, or certainly try to create fake profiles on all these platforms. And then, they will initiate conversation with you that way. Um, and then it kind of goes from there. So those I would say would be the two main avenues, either sort of the, the message that just shows up in your phone or the uh, social media profiles, the fake profiles that they create. And in the case of you and the person we profiled in our um, investigation, uh, in his case, it was just a message that just showed up in his phone one day and went from there. Yeah. And so he engaged with that person. He started talking back and he was at a really difficult point yeah. in his life, right? His his dad was in the hospital dying. And I mean, he's probably pretty vulnerable at that point, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, if you think about your life, if you're at a point in life where maybe you feel, uh, you know, sad or depressed or lonely or some combination of those um, and someone just pops into your phone and um, kind of brighten up your day and, you know, show you a lot of attention and cheer you up, you know, you're going to be uh, more likely to keep talking with that person, right? It's sort of a, a useful uh, escape at that point from the pains of daily life, you know, especially if you have a, like in Ewan's case, you know, a father in the hospital who's who's dying um, and, uh, you know, a lot of pressure at work, which he was facing. And so these were things that sort of this kind of gave him a uh, kind of a, um, you know, a convenient sort of escape to just have a conversation with this stranger on the side that kind of, um, you know, allowed him to, um, you know, forget about the the troubles of daily life. And that was, I think, why he originally engaged with this with the scammer when the scammer, um, you know, pretended, oh, it's a wrong number, but let's just keep chatting. He kind of, you know, uh, saw this as an uh, opportunity to uh, just, you know, get some relief from the, the stresses that he was experiencing in his daily life. Well, and often these people are, you know, they <laughs> they make this money and they're they're good at this because they're charming. Um, they create these profiles that are really, you know, you look at it and you think, wow, I want to be like that. They're beautiful. They seem to have a ton of money. They, you know, they're really kind of these captivating people, right? It's not just some, you know, it's not some faceless, nameless person. They create these really in-depth profiles oftentimes, right? Yeah, very much so. And so uh, if it's a fake profile that the scammers have created on a dating website, uh, then, of course, that dating website uh, profile will be, you know, uh, full of gorgeous photos and a glamorous lifestyle and that kind of thing. Um, or uh, in the case of Ewan, when uh, they started engaging over WhatsApp, um, the stranger started sending him, um, she called herself Jessica, and she presented herself as a successful banker who claimed to work at, you know, J.P. Morgan in New York. Uh, J.P. Morgan told me they had no employee who matched the details, um, of course, that the scammer provided him. So this was just a fake persona that the scammer created to convince him, uh, convince you and that he was talking to a really smart, uh, good-looking, successful person in New York who just wanted to 
uh, get to know him because, you know, it's a pandemic. We're all kind of sitting at home bored and it's sort of, you know, why not chat to a stranger? <laughs> um, and then eventually, you know, it just sort of took a turn towards um, talking about investing and from there talking about, you know, investing specifically uh, by using cryptocurrencies. Right. And so she, not too long into it, brought up her uncle, right, who was uh, basically she said, yeah, he's I'm kind of insider trading with my uncle, but I trust you. I want to bring you in on this because I think you can make some money. And I feel so bad for you because your dad's sick. Yeah, exactly. And I think that was the um, that was the pressure point that the scammer was using. Um, you know, one thing that I um, that I want to point out to your, your, your listeners is that anything you say to a scammer, especially in a if it's a pig butchering scam situation like this, anything you say to a scammer can and will be used against you by the scammer. So any insights you give them into your personal life, what's going on with you, your childhood, your parents, your loved ones, whether you broke up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you're trying to buy a new house, trying to get a new job, or in the case of Ewan, uh, his, his father is ailing in the hospital you know, in the last you know, weeks of his life. Any information you share like that, that gives them crucial information for them to basically tailor their approach. Basically, at that point, the scammer is going to be uh, triangulating this and thinking, okay, what's the best pitch we could use to try to rope him in? And in Ewan's case, it was, you know, the, the healthcare caring for his father was expensive. Uh, he had some older siblings that he wanted to take care of. And he, um, you know, uh, found it convenient when this uh, scammer mentioned that, hey, I can, you know, introduce you to a surefire crypto strategy that will, uh, surefire investment strategy, you know, using cryptocurrency. They were actually, you know, purporting to be investing in gold, uh, gold contracts. Uh, but anyway, if you do this, you'll make money and it's uh, uh, all all reward, no risk, and you'll be providing for your father and your siblings. So that was sort of the winning pitch in, in that situation. And as far as the script, uh, you asked about the script of the of the rich uncle in Hong Kong. That turned out to be very much just that. It's a script. I, I saw these scripts and some documents that I reviewed. These are basically training manuals that are put together for the scammers uh, that teach them how to engage with people, how to open conversations, how to make convincing arguments. And one of the uh, classic scripts that they use is this tale. It's either a rich uncle or a rich aunt, depending on which script they're using and how they position it. It could be a rich uncle in Hong Kong, or it could be a rich aunt um, who, uh, one case I saw, one script was uh, an aunt who works at the Monetary Authority of uh, Macau or something like that. You know, someone who's rich, knows what they're doing, works in finance, and they're willing to share advice with you. And in Ewan's case, it was this script about how she's got a rich uncle in Hong Kong who's feeding her insider quotes for the gold market. And if you uh, follow uncle signals you'll make money every time and so that of course is a classic scamming script of course he didn't know that at the time but that uh, but that's what the scammers were using like utilizing on him and it was one of these classic pig butchering scamming scripts yeah so he started relatively small right he put in a few thousand bucks but then you know she got him to ramp it up pretty quickly yeah, yeah. And that's one of the things that I found that was most interesting about not just Ewan's case, but a lot of people I talked to. Um, and his case is probably, you know, one of the more extreme examples I came across. But the idea is that, you know, these scams utilize a lot of psychological manipulation, um, which is the only way really to explain, you know, how a person like him, I mean, he's a a conservative lifelong investor, a saver, someone who's been, you know, saving money, socking it away, you know, penny pinching, um, not taking big risks, only investing, you know, mutual funds, not doing anything, you know, risky or, or extravagant. And so he was petrified when the scammer suggested even 
putting in, you know, uh, just uh, $10,000, even that was, you know, um, you know, he was scared to even put that much. He was you know, scared to put in even 2000, right? But she got him, she convinced him, um, and really most likely it was a he, convinced him to uh, go in with, I think it was 10,000 initially. Uh, and then that then, you know, scaled up pretty quickly from like 10 to then 60 to over a hundred to pretty soon he was a quarter million deep and then a half a million. Um, so it scaled up pretty quickly and it scaled up because um, the scammer was using these psychological manipulation tactics on him on the one hand, you know, to convince him he's doing the right thing for his father. Um, and then also they were, you know, showing him these fake results on this trading app that he was using uh, that, you know, of course, they controlled the entirety of all the numbers they were showing him. The numbers did look and feel real to him. And so he really did feel whenever he was depositing money that the money was being multiplied with each of these trades. And he was making, you know, gosh, imagine, you know, like, if someone convinced you that in five minutes in a trade that lasts less than five minutes, you can make, you know, 10, 15, $20,000. Right. Uh, and then that's happening consistently. Every time this person tells you, Hey, you know, it's time to trade, you know um, you know, if you're, if you believe that, you know, you would be convinced to keep going. Um, and he was convinced he kept going. And that was one reason why the scammer, when, whenever she, um, you know, broached the subject of, Hey, put in more money, that was sort of a, you know, the scammer was, you know, at least initially pushing in an open door. He was willing to, you know, move some money around and put more money in because he thought it was a, actually a winning investment strategy. And most of all, it just looked and felt very real to him. Yeah. And by the end, how much money did uh, UN lose? All told, he burned through just over a million dollars. And that was a combination of loans and uh, family savings. You know, most of it, uh, he said, was money that um, he and his wife had saved over, you know, the last 30 years or so. So a lot of it was just burning through family savings. And then um, that was also, uh, you know, the pain was exacerbated by the fact that he took out a home equity uh, loan, as we detailed in the story. So combination of just, you know, really poor financial decisions that, you know, again, he wasn't aware of at the time because he was being manipulated into the scam. That's awful. And, you know, certainly he's not alone. You said that a lot of the people you interviewed, you know, they did lose their life savings and maybe it wasn't as much as him, but, you know, losing everything you've got to this kind of scam. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always relative, right? Yeah. Um, you know, um, I talked to some people who um, might have lost only a couple of thousand, but they don't make a lot of money, right? Um, and for them, you know, a few thousand dollars is just, you know, an excruciating amount, right? Um, talk to others, other people who um, upwards of, you know, 2 million uh, or, you know, like a group of friends who lost like 3 million, you know, altogether. Because the other thing that happens here is also the network effect. The scammers, you know, to try to, uh, one of the things they try to do to uh, increase their paydays is if they've got a willing customer. Like, let's say that you are um, actively engaged in the scam, you're, you believe it, um, you full on trust that it's real. They might tell you, hey, we've got, you know, the, the brokerage we're using, they've got a deal now. And if you refer other customers, you get a bonus, right? And if you refer two of your friends, then they, they'll make some fake money show up in your fake brokerage and you think it's real. So you're like, oh man, let me loop, loop in my uncle and then my, uh, my, my sister, my brother, and then my brother's friend. And so I've seen some situations where this network effect takes on and you have friends who convince some really important uh, people, meaningful connections, friends, colleagues, family members, they convince them to do what really in, in retrospect, once they realize it was a scam, amounts to being the single worst financial decision you know they ever made. Mm, yeah. All right, up next, I want to talk a little bit more about who's behind these scams and why they work so well. We'll be back on Tech. 
Welcome back to TechRefresh. I'm Allie, and today I'm talking with ProPublica reporter Cesare Podgol about pig butchering scams. So let's talk a little bit more about the people behind these scams. Often when we talk about scammers, we don't feel sorry for the scammer, but in this case it's really different because these are not people who are doing this because they're you know, evil masterminds trying to make money. They're people who got roped into this and are, are victims as much as the people who get scammed. Yeah, that's one of the surprising things here. I mean, it's a crazy world we live in, right? But uh, that is, you know, that is certainly what we found. Um, and also from what other news organizations that have looked at this uh, have found, you know, when um, when I traveled to Cambodia to do the reporting on this project, this is something uh, I heard consistently. And then I met some of these human trafficking victims themselves who told me their stories of being held inside of these um scam uh, compounds, uh, you know, there's no better word for it really than compound. I mean, I, I went to some of the towns where these places are located and they're just these large rectangular buildings um, with uh, often adjoining casinos um, and they have bars on the windows. They're often surrounded by barbed wire. They're heavily guarded. There's gates, uh, you know, uh, there's luxury cars coming in. Uh, and no one seems to come out other than food delivery people when they deliver food. Uh, so they're 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 almost like a military complex in a way. They're just very secretive, well guarded, uh, barbed wire bars on the windows and everything. Um, and those are the places where they say they were taken to and held and uh, forced to scam. Uh, and they couldn't get out. Um, you know, sometimes they would uh, stage daring escape. Sometimes groups of people have broken out together. Um, and managed to stage really what amounts to like rebellion, rebellions where just, you know, large group of them might just try to break out together and, the, you know, they overpower the guards. So it's a really um, crazy situation. Um, and so that's sort of where, you know, where this is happening. Um, in, and again, a lot of these uh, compounds are located in uh, Cambodia, and I can explain later why that is and why that's sort of cropped up as a place where a lot of them have taken root. But a lot of them are also now moving um, to Myanmar, where a lot of these operations have also taken root. And then there's also um, a, a location in Laos where a lot of them uh, are located uh, also and operating out of there um, with seeming impunity. So this is sort of a regional problem here. Um, now, as far as the, uh, the scamming itself, uh, one thing to be mindful of is that um, while the the industry utilizes and relies on this stream of human trafficking victims, you know, the people who are uh, fooled into thinking they're reporting for, you know, uh, a marketing job or something, you know, general like that, that's going to pay them well and improve their lot in life. Um, while they are used to uh, initiate and, and carry on these scams, um, they aren't the sole participants in this. So beyond the human trafficking victims, their bosses, the agents, the people who hold them there against their will, they are also participating in this. And, and as we reported in our story, um, it's, you know, they often take over for them once they initiate contact, right? So the human trafficking victims are doing, often they're the ones doing the kind of the low level grunt work, the the sort of customer intake. They do call them customers or clients, the people that they're scamming. It's wow. sort of the word that I've seen that shows up in the uh, training manuals. They, you know, they're, they're, when they're scamming you, they're referring to you as their client. And um, the reason these manuals exist is because if you think about it, if you trick a 22-year-old, um, you know, a Chinese uh, man or woman to coming into, you know, Cambodia, um, they have no idea they're, where they're going. They have no idea what they're going to be doing. Um, and if they're not a willing participant and they've never, you know, done anything like this before, they're not going to be very good at it, right? And so 
that's why they have these training materials indoctrination you know they try to teach them and force them into really accepting this as their lot in life and you know becoming a scammer and some people do some of them decide you know what i can't go home i'm stuck here and if i don't do as i'm told i'm going to get beaten or uh, sometimes they get punished with electric shocks and so um you know, it's a very common punishment, unfortunately. It can be really brutal. And so you know, some of them um, may decide to actually become willing participants in this cybercrime. Um, and then others, you know, are, you know, the bosses above them. They, they're already doing it because they want to, not because no, anyone's forcing them to. So it's sort of a, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a continuum where you've got, on the one hand, you've got the people who are recruited and forced to do it, um, and they will you know, do some of the initial contacting of, of of people in the U.S., the U.K., Germany, or wherever, to strike up conversations, build fake profiles, uh, initiate contact via those profiles, get people interested in investing in the fake platforms, and then once the bosses, you know, who are watching their every step, monitoring their communications, punishing them if they don't do as they're told, once the bosses see that, hey. Um, this person here, he's actually got a live target, someone who's willing to engage and wants to deposit money into the fake platform. Then the boss might take over and say, you know what, this is mine now. And, uh, and I'm going to carry on the rest of this conversation. And I suspect that's what happened uh, in Ewan with his case, in his case, because I think um, the, the psychological manipulation tactics that were employed on him were very expert. Um, and I don't think that someone who just got to, you know, Cambodia, um, would, you know, uh, would be, you know, will, would be able to do this level of sophisticated um, scamming if they've just got traffic to Cambodia from China or, you know, if they got traffic to Laos or Myanmar or whatever, and, you know, they have never done this before for them to be able to carry off such a large um, heist to steal $1 million of someone's life savings. I think that takes, you know, a certain level of sophistication. So it is a team sport and it's uh, the bosses working in combination with the human trafficking victims that they're forcing to do this and together, uh, you know, perpetrating these scams, and these crimes. Yeah, I think you wrote in one of your articles that some of these victims do say, yeah, it felt like I was talking to multiple people, right? Like people kind of can pick yeah. up on that. People can, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, if you were carrying on a text conversation, let's say with someone you met online, maybe you went on a dating website and you initiated a conversation with someone on a profile and they kind of turn on a dime on you, right? Where one moment they're really friendly and happy and then they're really like upset. And then another, you know, they, another moment they get really moody or, or, you know, sort of sad or whatever, you know. You might think, wait, is, am I talking this? Or they forget, or sometimes they'll forget, right? So they're either they're moody or they forget stuff. They forget you've already told them things. And unless it's just like a really sort of, you know, unless you're dealing with someone who's just really forgetful or, you know, extremely moody or whatever, you might detect that there's, sounds like I'm talking to more than one person here. And in fact, that's a lot of times what does happen, right? Because you do have, it's like a this team activity where um, the scammers are, um you know, working together um, and the bosses are constantly supervising these human trafficking victims, looking at who are they talking to? How many lines of conversation have you had today? How, do you have enough lines of conversation? How many chats have you initiated? Are you initiating enough chats? What are you telling them? Why aren't you getting, you know, enough new contacts, right? So the bosses are always really, you know, monitoring these uh, human trafficking victims, you know, very closely minding what they're doing. And, um, and again, if they come across someone who looks like a really promising target, they'll take over. 
or you know they might uh, they might have a question for their boss. How should I deal with this situation? Someone's asking me a question that I've never had to deal with before, and the boss will come over and maybe they'll take over and start typing. So you know that's when you, as the person on the other side, the the target of this activity, the victim, scam victim, you might detect. Wait, am I talking to a a few different people? And in, in reality, in fact, you are. So that's one clue. If you're trying to think about how not to get scammed, that is one piece of advice, I guess, that comes out of this is if it sounds like if you feel like something's wrong and you're talking to um, a, a group of people, you know, chances are you, you might be in there trying to scam you. Yeah, I do want to get more into those red flags. First, though, so you put out an article in uh, September, I believe. Correct me on the timeline if I'm mm -hmm. wrong, but you wrote about this in September. And then not long after that, there was a raid Ooh. on one of these big um, trafficking sites, right? Uh, yeah, not just a raid, but raids plural. Yeah, just a bunch of them got raided uh, by police um, in Scenicville, which is a coastal city in Cambodia, where a lot of these scamming operations have taken root. So the authorities started cracking down on this industry in Cambodia in serious fashion. Um, you know, previously, you know, previous to uh, our reporting, you know, for months and months, authorities had been hearing um, about these scam operations. There have been local stories written, including by, you know, I, uh, I, I would point out VOD News, which is an outlet um, that has done terrific work co covering this in Cambodia. And when I was there in May, uh, we teamed up with uh, a few of their uh, reporters and contributors to uh, you know, look at uh, uh, some of these locations, including Scenicville, where these scams were happening. So they've done terrific work, and the government was aware that this was happening, but they were sort of denying it, trying to sweep it under the rug and pretend that it wasn't there. And I think um, with the weight of the evidence and all the stories that have been written by VOD, by us, uh, and other news outlets, it just became a situation. And of course, the diplomatic pressure that was mounting in Cambodia to do something about this uh, made it a situation that they couldn't ignore. So the uh, the government... Um, the national police there started uh, seriously cracking down on these cyber criminal operations and going there to um, empty them out and uh, and actually taking seriously, uh, you know, people's, uh, you know, cries for help. Sometimes, you know, they established a hotline where people can, uh, you know, call to uh, um, or seek out uh, help from uh, the government. Uh, so uh, th that sort of activity where they're both um, trying to shut down these scam operations, and they're also trying to help victims, people stuck inside. If someone's reporting that they're being held against their will, having a way to report that and try to help them, you know, that together has uh, has helped, uh, you know, improve things um, uh, for people who were trafficked into this industry in, in Cambodia in recent weeks. Yeah, you wrote about um, uh, brothers who were trafficked, and you know, they had multiple attempts of trying to contact the police and get out of there, and it just you know, kept really falling apart. So it's good to hear that there's actually yeah. something hopefully that will work to help these people. Yeah, definitely. So it, uh, you're right. Uh, you know, previously when uh, these uh, victims of uh, human trafficking victims would reach out to police, it would be hard for them to uh, actually get rescued and, um, and, uh, and, and often contacting authorities also created the risk that your bosses might find out. And then sometimes, of course, if they found out, they would get really upset. They might punish you. So that was a really risky situation. I think it's gotten a little bit less risky now. Um, hopefully, um, it's become a little bit easier for them to reach out to authorities and get help because there's so much more attention being uh, put on this now. And the government is actually, you know, genuinely trying to do something about it. And so I think between those two factors, I think uh, hopefully the uh, situations improve for people who are trying to seek help and get rescued. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the warning signs you need to watch out for to make sure that you don't fall for a scam like this.
Welcome back to Tech Refresh. All right, Cesare, you've kind of sprinkled in some things that people need to watch for uh, when they are talking to anyone online, really, but, you know, especially if they get a message from someone or if they're on a dating website or, like you said, even on a job site like LinkedIn, uh, these kind of scammers can really target you anywhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the best advice I can give you, uh, we've put it all actually into a very scrollable, shareable list. If you just Google what's a pig butchering scam, uh, hopefully the first link you'll see up there somewhere close to it will be our uh, ProPublica guide. I wrote this um, around the time when we uh, published our story, and it's really sort of the top 10 things to watch out for. Um, And if I were just to kind of summarize a few of the top ones um, in terms of how these scams work and what to watch out for, is you know uh, probably the first thing is to be mindful that when someone contacts you out of the blue with these messages um, where they pretend it's a wrong number and then they try to get to know you, that's the first red flag you should watch out for because that's a very common script that they use. Um, you know, secondly, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, be mindful if you do engage with uh, the stranger uh, on the other end and you know you start talking with them. Uh, be mindful that you know just like you wouldn't just start sharing information with some on the street with someone you don't know you know this person is on the at the end of the day a stranger and they may be just you know blind to about their identity who they are where they are right so um just be mindful that anything you share with them you know if they are a scammer can and will be used against you so again if you share personal details about your life um you know uh, your family uh, your situation you're just giving them information and they can turn around and use on you to try to psychologically manipulate you um into you know depositing uh, money into a fake investment platform um another thing that uh you should watch out for is if they ask you to keep it a secret that's always uh, a red flag because uh, the reason they want you to keep it secret is because if there are people in your life such as let's say you're married um, or you've got a girlfriend or boyfriend, um, you know, if your spouse finds out that you're chatting with some attractive stranger online who all of a sudden is convincing <laughs> you to deposit vast, vast amounts of money, you know, they might intervene, right? And so I, I don't know about you, but like if, if my wife found out that I was carrying on a long conversation with a stranger and depositing our life's, you know, l- large amounts of our savings, you know, she would obviously, you know, rip the phone out of my hand and I'd be in a lot of trouble. Um, so, <laughs> Oh, that's the that's the reason they tell you it's a secret. Keep it a secret. So if they start telling you it's a secret, that's another red flag, right? Because they just the reason they're telling you that is because they don't want anyone in your life to intervene and cut it off, right? And if you tell your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband that you're you know thinking of investing in this platform, chances are they might say, hey, it's a scam, right? Or they might Google our story or whatever and say, hey, that sounds like that pig butchering thing, right? <laughs> so keeping it a secret is another red flag. Um, and then if for some reason, you know, you um, you do end up engaging with them and it ends up going the wrong way and you do end up depositing some money, um, the best uh, advice I can give you on that front, just from what I, you know, the reporting we've done is to report it to the authorities, you know, early on, even if you're not altogether 100% convinced that it is a scam, it's in your advantage, uh, it's, it's to your advantage to report it to uh, the, the police and authorities as soon as you can. When I say authorities, you know, not just your local police, but also um, the reported to uh, the U.S. Secret Service, which uh, investigates uh, these types of financial crimes, the FBI, um, as well as, you know, the Federal Trade Commission has a, a site where you can report 
um, consumer, uh, you know, fraud, uh, right? And so a lot of these reports end up in that database, and they're very useful and helpful to law enforcement as well because they use that to spot trends and help investigations. So you're not only helping yourself by reporting there, but also helping others who may be in a similar situation. And so reporting that will help them, and it may help you because um, if it, you know, if it does turn out that it is a scam then the sooner you report it, the sooner authorities can try to act on that to try to um, freeze the funds, to try to trace, first of all, where the funds went, and then try to do an, uh, a freeze an asset forfeiture proceeding and try to get you back the money. And there have been some situations, they're still quite rare, uh, but it does happen where prosecutors are able to trace the funds, uh, you know, freeze them, um, and do an asset forfeiture proceeding to try to get you your money back. Uh, prosecutors at the Santa Clara County District Attorney's Office, I think, have had the most luck with this. They've got a, they're working with a, a special task force there that's uh, been able to do this and has had some success seizing assets linked to pig butchering scams. Um, but uh, as Aaron West, the Deputy District Attorney there who's handling this, told us uh, for our story, um, you know, she said we're definitely. She said we're definitely going to be able to be more successful if you immediately report because the money is always on the move, right? So the scammers, when they take your money, um, they're moving it and it goes into you know the money laundering machine and you know they start moving it across the world to different places um, between different crypto wallets. So um, you know because your money is always on the move, the sooner you report, the the easier it is. Uh, and I shouldn't say easier because it's never easy, but it's uh, <laughs> relatively going to be a little bit easier for them to try to trace and recover funds uh, that have just been moved into a scammer's wallet, you know, a day or two ago, as opposed to six months or certainly 12 months from now, right? So the earlier report, the better your chances of actually getting a recovery. Um, and the same thing with banks, you know, um, I talked to one person who, who was able to get one of her bank transfers reversed because she realized just in the nick of time that it was a scam and she notified her bank and the bank was able to undo the transaction. But that was only because she very quickly within... Um, I think a day or so of uh, doing the transaction, she notified the bank that, hey, I, this is a scam. Uh, can you please reverse this? And they were able to do that. So the sooner you report, the sooner you act on it, uh, the better you, uh, chance you have of recovering some of your funds. Yeah, the the hard part there is I think a lot of people, if they get mixed up in something like this, even with you know low-level scams, I think people get embarrassed and they don't want to admit uh, that they got fooled. They don't want to say this happened to me. Is that something that you came across in your reporting? People who were just afraid to speak up? Yeah, oh, definitely. And I think, you know, the main thing to say there is just you're not alone, right? Um, you know, it's uh, it's something that has happened to thousands of people around the world with this, um, you know, explosion of cybercrime um, out of Southeast Asia linked to these pig butchering scams. And there's a lot of other scams, you know, as well that they're kind of... Um, uh, spearheading out of there. Uh, this is, I think, one of the most common ones and the one that's sort of spread most internationally now, this, this pig butchering variety. But uh, there's a lot of scams right now online that are spreading um, and uh, and are, you know, targeting people in different places in different ways. And so by all means, you're definitely 100% not alone if you are being contacted by someone who wants to scam you, because I think, you know, we've all gotten those messages at this point or know <laughs> someone who has. Um, and certainly if you engage with the person and, um, and if it ends up, you know, going to a, a place you didn't expect to actually end up depositing some money into these fake platforms, you're certainly not the only one. There's an organization called the Global uh, Anti-Scam Organization, which is like a victim support group that has uh, members, I think, uh, in, you know, um, I think something like, you know, uh, certainly over a dozen countries. Um, where people have fallen victim to these scams and they've reported uh, being victims of pig butchering scams. And so they've got sort of a network of people around the world 
in many different countries who have been scammed. So you're definitely not alone um, if, if you fell victim to one of these scams. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be back on Tech Refresh. Welcome back to Tech Refresh. I'm Allie, and today I'm talking with ProPublica reporter Cesare Podgol about pig butchering scams. Well, is there one thing I was thinking about? So a lot of this happened kind of during the height of the pandemic, right? When people were um, maybe spending a lot more time alone or at home, were lonely. Uh, and I think as yeah. kind of cryptocurrency was becoming, you know, more accepted, people were seeing, oh my gosh, these people are making so much money in crypto. And I know these scams take all types of, you know, different routes where it's you're investing in gold or this or that. But do you see, uh, I guess, kind of the the method behind these pig butchering scams changing as, you know, people are spending more time at, outside their homes? Maybe they're a little more leery of cryptocurrency. Do you think this kind of scam will shift? Oh, yeah. Well, it's it's constantly evolving. Yeah. I mean, even in the time that I was doing my reporting, I saw the tactics shifting. Let me give you just one concrete example that would illustrate that. Um, when I first started talking to victims of the scam, so not the human trafficking victims, but the scam victims in the U.S. and the Canada, I interviewed some people in like seven different countries, uh, close to 30 people um, who lost money to this variety of scam. Um, and when I first started talking to them, I was hearing, you know, mostly, you know, that when they would try to engage with these people to, you know, if they thought that they were real, first of all, you know, you would do like you, you would always do with any other person in your life, you know, you would try to verify and make sure that they're real, right? So if someone is going to pretend they like you and they want to date you in their romantic interest, like let's say if it goes the romantic route, they would ask them to call them like, hey, why can't we talk? Can we have a phone conversation? Can we just chat? And the scammers would always come up with an excuse. No, 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 I, I can't either, you know, like I'm busy, I can't. Or a common excuse was, you know, my English isn't very good. And because English isn't my first language, I feel very shy and I, I don't want to talk to you. Or some other excuse like, you know, some traumatic experience involving, you know, a, a video chat that went wrong and therefore they're scared of ever doing a video chat, whatever. So they would make up excuses. They wouldn't do anything other than text. So everything was done by text, 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 and, and sending photos and, you know, fake, you know, fake exploring and showing off that fake persona using images and text and maybe a voice memo here and there. And then towards, as I was wrapping up my reporting, uh, someone shared with me this really uh, interesting case where the scammer was actually doing completely the opposite. So they were the scam syndicate that was operating this scam. It was a very similar kind of pig butchering scam, but in this case, they were um, very willing to uh, chat on video and put a real person in front of you. The real person, of course, was working for the scam syndicate. She was uh, a woman that they had recruited to do the scam and try to convince you that she is a real potential love interest of yours. You know, and if you um, you know, do as she says, you'll make a lot of money, right? And so, wow. you know, in, in some cases, they might actually, uh, they've shifted tactics, at least in that sense, where, um, you know, as the pandemic has ebbed, and things have opened up, you know, and we're kind of coming back to more real life interactions. And there's maybe less desperation for us to, um, you know, we feel so lonely, that we'll just chat with anyone, because now we can go out with friends and whatever, they've sort of shifted where they will actually engage with you on video, and they might actually put a real person on video to talk with you. 
and that could still be a scam. So don't think that just because they're willing to have a video call with you, that means they're real. You know, the video call itself could be part of the scam. So I guess that's the main thing to watch out for. These scams are constantly evolving. They're constantly getting more sophisticated. And at the end of the day, they're, the main reason they're so effective is because they try to do as much as they can to make it look and feel very real. You know, just to go back to the person, uh, you know, we started the segment with, you know, you and uh, when I asked him, like, you know, why it took a turn like this and why he was, uh, why in the end he ended up depositing so much money into this scam, you know, it was a very simple answer. He was just absolutely convinced it was real. He just didn't have a sliver of a doubt for the longest time that it was fake, you know, and that's, and that's what they're doing now is they're trying to innovate by doing new and different ways of making it look and feel real. And one of them certainly appears to be to actually put a person on a video call to try to engage with you and convince you that there's a real person on their line, even if the other person on the other line is working for a scam syndicate that wants to, you know, cheat you out of your money. Wow. Okay. Okay. So we know if someone reaches out with a text message or a WhatsApp message or whatever it is and says, how did I get your number? <laughs> uh, we're going to block that person. We are not going to engage. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's, that's rough that, you know, it's, it could be someone that you are doing, you know, video chats with voice memos, a phone call, whatever it is. And so I guess the, the best advice there is if it's someone you've never met before and they are trying to give you secret investing advice, uh, it's, I'm going to say 99 point something percent a scam. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably a fair assessment. <laughs> All right. Cesari, thank you so much for joining us today. This is great stuff. And I think that, um, you know, this is a really good service you're doing, helping people see, you know, you could lose your entire life savings. And, you know, you've talked to a lot of people who that's happened to. So tell people again where they can find your work. Sure. So to read more of our work, go to propublica.org. That's P-R-O-P-U-B-L-I-C-A dot O-R-G. And if you're interested, if you want a quick way of finding our story, just Google what's a pig butchering scam and uh, ProPublica, and you'll, you should see that. It'll be the top link that has everything you need to watch out for to avoid falling victims to these scams. And that also links to my investigation, which gives you an in-depth read of sort of everything that's behind these scams and why they've exploded and become such a big menace. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Tech Refresh. We'll see you next time.